0: You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. It's wonderful to have you along for the ride. My name's David Frizzell, and in this episode, we're going to talk really directly about the challenges of being a good leader. It's easy to listen to a podcast where we talk about the concepts of leadership, communicating developing great relationships, all that stuff. But the real world, our actual working environments can provide barriers to being a great leader that feels so ingrained insurmountable. I've invited author and speaker Shelley Flett onto the show to talk about being a dynamic leader in the real world. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Shelley Flett, welcome to the Team Guru podcast.
1: Thank you so much, David, for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to our chat, Shelley, because this is a leadership podcast and we we get so many different types of guests. We get guests talking about a particular skill within leadership or, or a particular, you know, any kind of anything within that discipline. But you've written about dynamic leadership, a really broad kind of look at being a dynamic leader, an effective, energetic leader. And I want you to help solve a problem for me. I'll tell you about the type of organizations that I see so often. So I'm, I'm imagining like you, you probably get to go inside a number of organizations throughout each year in different industries, different types of organizations. Tell me if you recognize this scene, Shelley. Sure. Cubicle land, people sitting at desks, tapping, tapping, tapping away. And for some amazing reason, when you look around, there's PowerPoint presentations open everywhere. Everyone's creating a deck. and The place is painfully professionally quiet. You feel as though you look out of the ocean of cubicles and there might be 10, 20, 30, 40, 80 people you can see and barely a sound. If there's someone having a conversation in a corner somewhere, it stands out right across the floor and you know that they're being guarded about it. People are working hard people are very professional people are very courteous if you bump into them at the at the coffee machine or in the lift or or anywhere they're always lovely and nice and professional and as I say always tapping on their computers it's open plan and our relationship with our teammates are largely just proximity based essentially i'm I'm in your team because I sit near you and I'm in your team because we have the same manager. The same person delegates to us and and gives us the information of the organization and we might come to team meetings occasionally with each other. and our relationship with our manager or if we're the manager, our relationship with our direct reports is kind of transactional. We share information from our boss. We kind of provide company direction. We help put out fires, which whether I caused the fire or you did, we might work together on that. But often as a manager, no matter how many are on my team, I kind of have this hub and spoke relationship with each one of the people on my team. I deal with them one-on-one and we do so in this really quiet environment where people don't tend to talk that much. People are tap, tap, tapping away and some people are rushing off to the meeting rooms at intermittent parts of the day. Do you recognise that scene that I've just painted for you?
1: Uh, yeah, it certainly sounds like a few areas and office spaces that I've been in in the past. Yes, absolutely.
0: <laughs> so w- what's going – you know, I've got to say, for me, that scene, it- it's hyperbole to a certain extent, but that represents so many places that I've worked, whether they're large organisations, whether they're large government departments or or even sort of medium-sized firms – that kind of scene is everywhere. And and I look around and I like I had a great chat with the CEO of the Australian Institute of Management just the other day. And I said to him, it's so easy for us to sit here, David Pish, and talk sort of, you know, academically about leadership and how we should all be working on this. But when you go into this environment that I just described, where so many of my listeners find themselves working. And it's actually really hard to do leadership in that kind of space. Even if you the best intentions, it, you feel like you're interrupting people if you go and have a conversation with them. So I want to do a few things in the conversation tonight. First of all, I want you to talk about what's going on in that scene. What kind of leadership are we seeing or not seeing? And how can someone who knows they're in that kind of really sterile environment step out of that? and become that standout dynamic leader who leads that one team that stands out on floor 35 as that one team with energy and and all sorts of dynamics going on. So let's first of all talk about what are you seeing there, what leadership is or is not going on.
1: So it sounds like there is a group of individual contributors as opposed to a team, and I always look for context. So I spent a large portion of my early career in contact centres. And so they were just humming with noise the whole time. There was rarely any quiet from the minute the phone lines went on until they stopped. There was just this constant noise. And then you go to other teams where there were PowerPoints open and people were quietly doing their work. And it did feel... A little bit uncomfortable and I always put that down to I'm just used to the noise um, yeah. I think there is challenges with open plan workspaces I think that you know we're told that we need to use our time better we need to become more efficient and prioritize and you know do more with less effectively but the open plan office environment is not always conducive to getting into flow state and so flow state is How we can perform at our optimal, but it requires little distractions and allows us to get into our zone, which you don't get where there's a lot of noise. Mm. And so when I see environments like that, the first question is what are they doing? If it's analytical work, obviously PowerPoints would imply that it's more around generating reporting and commentary around that. So potentially not too deep thinking, but yeah, it, it would be curious to know what's the type of work that they're doing and also are they working towards a common purpose? So from a leadership perspective, is the leader uniting them to work together cohesively and, and dynamically or, as you said, they're dealing with them one-on-one, which means that the staff then rely on the, the leader to help them with challenges new ways of thinking where they've got a whole team around them that they could be doing that with. But I think it's, I think for a leader to be able to step out of that, it is how do we allow people the the quiet space to get into flow and to get their work done? And then how do we also create teams that allow for conversation and innovation and different thinking? And how does the leader then you know, bring their people together, I think it starts with a common purpose, whether that's the vision of an organization or a leader's strategic objectives and what they're focused on. But yeah, bringing them together to say, hey, this is a problem that we can't solve individually, we need each other for, otherwise there's no reason for them to change.
0: We're going to talk in a little while, of course, about the things that you describe in your book and that you speak about how to enable our teams to work at their best and to be a dynamic leader. And that's going to be part of that that sharing a common purpose and communicating that common purpose. But I want to ask you first, do we tend as human beings in a professional setting or in a workplace setting to go into kind of safety mode, into the the safety of the cocoon around our computer and our two screens and that little tiny space we have around our desk? And we open our documents and it all feels very safe and secure to sit behind emails and respond by tapping away on our computer and and sending stuff. And often, and we know this, we're sending stuff to people who are sitting in the same room as us or in the same floor as us. And we're just shooting information around and we, we sit there creating reams of PowerPoint presentations. That's always one thing that makes me laugh when I look around organizations. I see everyone's creating PowerPoint decks. Who on earth is reading these things if we're all sitting <laughs> around... Creating them. So my question to you is: Do we tend to that? Do we kind of go into this little cocoon when we're in these settings? And if if that's true, why? Because we're not all introverts. That doesn't suit all of our personality styles.
1: No, quite right. I think that it's learnt behaviour. I think that part of that has to do with our risk mitigation. You know, how do I make sure that I've covered my backside and and I will use email, it will be in writing so that I know that it actually happened. For me, I actually use email because there is so much information coming at me that I forget. So, I I see benefit in being able to record information down. But I think it is, I think people are hesitant to stand out and interrupt. Mm. And potentially that is, we do need to utilize our time effectively and we do need to kind of hold our boundaries. I think the flip side to that is that you're open to being interrupted throughout the day, which then has an impact on your ability to, you know, deliver results and output. and that then cuts into your your home life because so many of us are not working as a means to an end. Most of us are, we love what we do, but we, we want to also live our lives outside of work as well. And so, potentially, it's the trade-off for, you know, in order for me to go and live my life, I need to make sure that I'm utilising my time as effectively as I can. And if I see that as in front of my computer, you know, just getting tasks done, then that's potentially why they do it, is that they're, they're not really sure of what, what's the in-between. Mm. How do I get the balance within the work environment and also allow myself the time to be able to continue to live outside of work?
0: You're right to connect it with our, our desire to get out, to get our jobs done so we can go home to our kids or our families or our hobbies or whatever is important to us because we're no matter how much we love our work and, and have professional ambition, we also have an ambition for the rest of our life and to be happy and find balance and, and integration balances out. Don't use that word anymore. It's all about integration. Exactly. So I, I get that. And That's a really good point. Hey, but one thing I also bet, and I know this from talking to people, is that if they're sitting in cubicle land and they're in that scene that I described before, they might have periods of their day where they do want to collaborate, and there might be people on their team, and I'm using air quotes here, uh, they report to the same boss, they kind of do work that butts up against each other occasionally. They want to go and talk to them, and they want to do it ad hoc because something's come up right now in this work that I'm doing, but they look over. And their teammates are sitting there hunkered over their computer, typing away furiously and clicking around and creating boxes with text in them on their PowerPoint slides. And they're thinking, geez, well, I can't interrupt that person. They're working so hard. So they let these opportunities go by, these moments of collaboration go by, because the environment says, no, sit down and check your emails again, and maybe open a Word document and copy and paste that text into a PowerPoint slide and send that to someone do you think that happens a lot, that kind of desire to collaborate, but it's just not going to work right now because they're hunkered down?
1: Absolutely. I, I've worked and also engaged with um, organizations who have chat. So whether that's WhatsApp or it's an internal chat function. And I have observed people tapping into the the chat function to reach out to that, so they can look over and go, I want to talk to that person. and bounce some ideas around and seize the moment, they might go into chat and just see whether they're on do not disturb or whether they are actually engrossed in whatever it is they're doing because I think looks can be deceiving. We can oh, be yeah. engrossed in Facebook updates yeah, <laughs> or care. LinkedIn posts, etc. can't we? So engaging in chat and just reaching out because I get both sides. I think that when someone is in the zone, there's nothing more annoying than someone breaking that and, you know, you taking an extra hour to complete something that could have been done in 10 minutes. So, I get that side, but I think it's what's the opportunity to tap in and seek the support and be able to bounce ideas around in the moment when you can. So, it's almost using a different mode of technology to then go, hey, are you free for a chat? And then you can take that into into a meeting room or a breakout space. Yeah, I'm very much on the fence. I don't think there's any I don't think there's a, a right and a wrong. It's a, a matter of how what, what can we do to operate at our optimal and how can we provide the environment that delivers everybody what they need at the best times.
0: Hey, I absolutely have seen people like you sitting on chat, whether it's you know part of the system or Yammer or whatever it is, talking to someone in the office. And that's cool. I'm not a Luddite. I love the use of technology and we should use all the tools available to us. But I do panic a little bit as a human being when I see us systematising and hiding behind again, hiding behind a screen and some kind of system, something that might just be nice, genuine human interaction, because we have all had that experience where we've achieved something via 60 emails or 30 chat messages that could have been solved really nicely in a three-minute conversation if you went and spoke to that person. So. Look, I, I see that a lot and and I, I just wanted to take this opportunity to share with you some of the things I see in organizations and what your thoughts are. So we'll move on, but let's leave that as our backdrop as we talk about some of these really important concepts that you cover in your book and come back to that and, and solve some of those problems and, and help those who are listening, who, who find themselves stuck in that, that environment, lift out of it and become a, a dynamic team member and a, a dynamic leader. Let's get to the title of your book. You've called it the dynamic leader. In your mind, Shelley, what is a dynamic leader? Define that for us.
1: So, the dynamic leader is a leader who is who is able to blend the focus on delivering results and getting things done with relationships and understanding their people and being able to influence as opposed to manage. And there's a big part around you know, being able to listen and build the capability of their people. So a dynamic leader can do all of those things. All
0: right. So, and I'm, I'm going to get you to talk through those really, those, those few important things about communication and time and the three levels of integration. So let, let's talk, Go. let's go back to that that idea of common purpose that we spoke about earlier. Is that at the heart of the work that a leader must do when it comes to communicating with their staff? Do, to paint the picture for those that they lead, about how we're all in this together and and what your bit and my bit and how we overlap and how we can work together and collaborate to achieve something that we all have in common.
1: Absolutely. I think uh, and I sort of label that as being transparent. So why am I here? Why are you here? What's expected of me in my role, and what's expected of you in your role? And then, overlaying that with where are we going as an organisation and what are the values that we're wanting to live by because I think that you can get fixated on the direction and delivering outputs and completely miss the human side so I think values are really important for all people, all employees to be able to live by, understand and unite around.
0: Whether it's a half-day Energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organisation. So the common purpose and values. Tell me how as a leader, so back in, in that scenario I said in cubicle land we'll call it, how am I communicating to staff in cubicle land who all report to that one manager and have a bit of a one-on-one relationship and team meetings every now and then? How does the dynamic leader crack that open and help everyone that's working there understand what is that common purpose that we all have together, that we're all working on? Because if you're spending your day hunkered over your computer with your emails and your, your PowerPoint slides, it can feel very individual contributor And you know your work goes somewhere and it sort of pops out down the conveyor belt somewhere else, but you can get into this world of my little bit. So how does the dynamic leader really do that on a practical level?
1: So I would refer to, I would talk about divide and conquer. So it does happen, I think, at an individual level between the leader and the person within the team to set, you know, what are the expectations of the role of the organisation of me and of you and what do you need in order to do your work more effectively and also how can you tap into the resources of the team and build and grow. And so doing that individually with each of your people to start with then gives you as the dynamic leader, it gives you some insight into how your team could then interact with each other And then it's about creating the environment where you can bring it together. So, you know, operating rhythm is really important to make sure that you are meeting on a regular basis, whether that's once a week as a a huddle and then having team meetings once a month, uh, opportunities to do that. But also when someone, when one of your staff comes to you and says, hey, I've got this problem or this challenge that I'm facing, a lot of leaders will be, they'll respond quickly to that without actually um, exploring what other ways that person could seek or gather their information. And so, the first stage is the, the leader building relationships with the team individually, but then it's the leader building or forging relationships between the people in the team. So, you know, Bob, you're really great at putting in formulas or doing a a v lookup, for example, and Sally over here has an issue with her v lookup. She can't seem to get that right. I don't have the time to work with her, or you know I am probably not the best person to work with her on that. So how about you two get together? Take me out of the picture and then see how that works, and then start to open up relationships where they are seeing the strengths of each of their peers and seeking them out when they need help.
0: mm yeah good. I like that. And you talked about the strengths of their peers and just even being overt as a leader, you know, speaking, you know, communicating about the relative strengths of different members of the team to put it out there as to how we can tap into each other's special skills and knowledge and and experience so that it encourages that that interaction between team members and we move away from that really sort of sterile, quiet cubicle land space. I like it. and and one of the other things you mentioned in communication, was communicating our values. Now, I'm pretty sure what you're not talking about there is parroting the five words that the, the company has set out in an email and said, hey, we, we value integrity, communication, collaboration, and, and trust, and whatever else it might be. What do you mean? How does a dynamic leader in the real world communicate values? And what does that mean to a team?
1: Well, I actually think that if there's five that the organisation have sent out on the email, then it makes sense to use them. I think that as a team you need to define what each of those means mean for your team and your environment. So the word itself might be the same, so it might be integrity, but what does that look like for our team and how are we going to ensure that we live it? And I think it starts – I think it starts with an email, but I, I also believe these, that- These
0: are your values,
1: Shelley. <laughs> I I love email. I, there's just so much going on in the world. Email is a great way to keep track of, what did I do that? Did I dream it? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. But you've got to live and breathe it every day. Values are an absolute waste of time if they're just on a piece of paper and or hung up on the wall or put on the website and they're not actually integrated in every single conversation that you have with the people around you. I think that if you're truly living the values, it will come up in any conversation that you have.
0: It certainly is a wonderful, valuable activity to do with a, a team. You could do it with your own team or you could get someone in to do it with you. Just to pull up those five values that the company has told you that you have. And we know why they do that. It's it's done from from good intentions, but it can feel very arm's length after a period of time. But anyway, so they exist. And what's a really valuable exercise for you and your team to do is just to say, okay, value number one is integrity. Sure, that's a very sterile word. And there it is sitting on the the letterhead of the company. What does that really mean to us though? How do we see integrity in our team? What do we do? What does it look like? What behaviors, tangible, real behaviors do we do in our team that live that integrity value? And more importantly, what do we don't do? What yes. would be wrong in our team? What's What do we not accept in our team on a really practical level that would clash with that value? So that's a nice way to bring those at-arms-length values to life. So, yeah, good like yeah. that. All right, now tell us about – you talked about having an underpinning theme and it's about time. Why is time so important to the dynamic leader? And what do you mean by that?
1: So when – high performers are promoted into leadership positions. They
0: That old chestnut.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that still happens consistently. And, you know, is it's not a bad way to develop people within an organization. But I think they move into leadership reactively. So yeah. they end up responding to everything. And, you know, I, I talk about when I'm running my my leadership program around this book is you know your day one of leadership position is very quiet here's your desk here's the report you've got to run or, or you know you get a few introductory things but i remember my first day being what
0: powerpoint packs
1: <laughs> but it was crickets in comparison yeah. to what i was used to and of course as an individual contributor my worth was measured by my output mm-hmm. and so I think as leaders, we feel like we need to increase our output and keep going, that there's no, you know, break in that when we move into the role. And so, we end up just responding to things and we end up not really putting any boundaries around our time. And before you know it, you have zero time free. You're working from 7 a.m. until 7 p.m. five days a week. You've compromised, you know, your life outside of work and often your sacrifices go either unnoticed or you're seen as you're overwhelmed, you're overworked, mm. you're nearing burnout. Not coping. And we're definitely and, and you're not, not coping and not leading and we're not offering the next promotion to you. <laughs> so yeah,
0: That's right. Well you have reached you've reached your level of, of highest that's as high as you can go. If that's how you respond in that role by trying to do everything yourself and burning out because you're trying to control everything and think you keep on doing, then that's the Peter Principle at play. You have reached your level of incompetence, and uh, and that will be obvious to everybody. That is such a strong theme on our podcast here. Shelley is that idea of the technical expert all of a sudden becoming a manager, and we all know, everyone listening knows that being a technical expert in everything, whether it's an engineer or a lawyer or a teacher or or a comms person, or anything at all, anything that we we could think of, is a completely different skill set to managing people who do those things. And it's okay for that to be your progression. We often people want that to be their progression, their progression. They want to get off the tools, but as long as when they get off the tools, they stop being a, an engineer or whatever it is, that they accept that they mo- they have moved into a completely different technical skill, and their technical skill now is leadership. And it's a completely Mm -hmm. different way of thinking. And they're at the bottom rung. They're at the very beginning of it. They were the expert. They were good at it. They were good at something, good enough to get noticed. Now they're on day one of a brand new discipline. And that's okay as long as the awareness of that is high.
1: Absolutely. It's a little bit like an apprenticeship I see (laughs) in true-level leadership sometimes. It sure Um, is. Yes, 100%. And I think that one of the pieces of advice that I was given by my manager when I first moved into a leadership role was, Shelly, what got you here to where you are today will not be enough to get you to where you need to get to. Mm. You need to change the way you work and you need to just challenge yourself to think differently. And it was so hard to listen to. And I I think I remember having a little bit of a dummy spit around, you know, why is it so hard and, and why does it have to be that like that? Why can't they recognize me for my individual contribution and completely miss the point of yeah. you know what leadership was yeah. like, but yeah. easy to do.
0: I see so many people in that middle management or moving into senior management and they just think they've got to do more and more and more as you said. And the higher they go, the more stress they get because the more they've got to do, if only they would realise it's actually it's actually much simpler than that. You don't have to do any more. You just have to do different things. And you were about to describe what some of those different things are but you just have to be a leader now and it's actually nice i would i would so much prefer that that idea of of communicating visions and developing the people around me and inspiring people towards those visions and helping support people that's what a great role rather than thinking you have to do everything but if you've worked in a technical skill long enough to get that new manager role then it takes a conscious flick of thinking all right. I've harped on that long enough. It's a real theme on this podcast. I've lost number of I've lost count of the number of podcasts where we've talked really explicitly about that. All right, now tell us then we've just got a few things to go because we're actually have quickly running out of time, Shelly. Tell us about your three levels of integration. How are they important to the dynamic leader?
1: Yeah, so the three levels of integration are say, do, and be. And ultimately it everything starts with what you're saying. You know, it's about sharing your ideas. It's about sharing, you know, what's going on with you, but it's also just having the conversations with your people. So, building relationships and doing it in a way that is authentic and listening to different perspectives and taking on board different things and then empowering. It's all about what you're saying around those things, but without then translating it into what you're doing, it may not have the desired effect. And in some cases, if you're saying one thing and you're doing something else can completely undermine everything that you've said. And so, often I will say, if you're not going to follow through on actions with what you have spoken about, don't say it in in the first place. People will be, your staff will be much more understanding if you don't commit to something and don't do it than if you do commit to something and don't do it. So, you know, that's Really around the do part so they sort of go hand in hand
0: and before you move on there, would well, tell me about yeah. some of the traps that well-meaning managers that we, we won't call them leaders that people who are who are learning the craft will say but then not follow through and do because we know most people don't intend to start that way most people won't say something that they don't intend on doing so what yeah. what's the situation here that most well-meaning but struggling managers might feel them find themselves in?
1: Yeah. So, I think it is wanting to help out and wanting to please and genuinely thinking that they can do that. And so, I see it. It's the simplest thing. So, you're sitting in a one-on-one conversation with your manager and you say, "I've, I've been trying to get hold of Paul and he's not getting back to me. I've emailed him 10 times. I really need your help. Can you do it? And you say as a leader, sure, I will email him and follow up for you. And of course, important to them at the time you appreciate that at the time and then the minute you leave the room or you know the meeting is over it's gone and there's a mountain of other priorities and either they forget to do it or it just doesn't ever get to the top of their priority list and your staff member then feels like they've been uh, set up to fail let down and then, yeah, let's have the accountability conversation around that, shall we? How, you know, you said you want me to do this and deliver, but you're not helping me when I'm asking you to, even though you've committed to it. And so it's got a bit of a, it's got quite a flow on impact for culture.
0: And we, we know that if the staff member, the team member in that situation is someone who's under the pump and their inability to make contact with that person is causing them anxiety, then a leader failing to follow through on what they said they would do could cause real problems in that relationship. And, and we've all seen issues where where a member of a team has a real physical issue with a team leader a manager or a leader because they, they haven't followed through. The, the manager or the leader might not have any idea of the extent to it, but that's exactly mm. the kind of situation that can really put a hole in a relationship.
1: Absolutely. And on a surface level, a leader might be going, I don't really see what the big deal was, mm. but it's the... I think the failure to understand the emotion that goes with that if someone is under the pump, that you're just making it hard for me. And I think effort comes into that as well. Like we've gone to the effort to have this conversation. You've committed to something. I have then not worried about it and suddenly it's come back to bite me and now I'm having to go to even more effort to, you know, sometimes remediate, other times, you know, manage flow on impacts to deadlines and things. So, it can have a, a huge a huge impact on an individual's performance and it's very emotional. And so, when that emotion, when they don't share that with the leader and sometimes they don't, they just, they might share it with a colleague and then that might breed, yeah, they've done that to me as well. And, yeah. And so, often the leader never knows.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, what would a dynamic leader do in that case? Say I come to you, Shelley, and I say, hey, I've been trying to get in touch with Paul. I've tried all these things. I've tried these different avenues. He just doesn't, he's just not responding. I need you as my leader to unblock this for me. What does a dynamic leader do?
1: Oh, pick the phone up.
0: <laughs> so, so, so it's okay to promise to do it, but just actually do it. Unblock yeah. that for your team member.
1: Absolutely. Look, I think if it's a big issue, if it's a big problem and they have oh, attempted cool. to solve it themselves, then yeah, pick the phone up or draft the email right then and there copy them in and say, you know, can you, I'm empowering you to follow this up if you haven't heard back from Paul in the next couple of days and then we'll escalate it to the next level. But if you're going to do something, do it then and there if that's possible. The other thing is if you can't, then you might say, okay, I want you to draft an email to Paul on my behalf, send it to me and then I will, I'll flick it on. And that's mindful that, you know, your leader is busy as well, so being able to make their life a little bit easier. But the other thing is, what else could you do? Is so rather than the leader, a dynamic leader wouldn't necessarily take this on. They'd they'd be going, okay, so what have you tried? Yeah. What's left? Who in the team do you know who is able to get some type of response out of this person? Go to them. See what they've done differently.
0: And the answer of course lies in what the leader understands about that team member. If team member has got a history of being really onto it. They they use their initiative. They've got all sorts of communication channels. Then if they're coming to you and saying I can't get onto Paul, yeah. then chances are that, you know, you they're need to do something all. about it. But yes. if you know, you know, team member B has got a, a reputation of being a bit of a procrastinator, trying things once and if they get blocked, they kind of just sit on it for a while and sit on their computer and Google stuff. That's a different conversation, and then you, then you have that developmental conversation about what channels have you tried, how many times have you followed up, have you been over to his desk to see him, have you picked up the phone, all of mm. those kind of things. So great, understand that. So that's do what you say you will do. Where does the yeah. B? So it, it says say, do, be. I understand the say and the do part. Tell me about the B part. So I look
1: at B as the – foundation of culture. So, it is, you can say and do all you like, but it is, and I think it is the result of what you're saying and doing that allows the B to come. So, B is is who you're being. Who are you showing up as? Who are your people in your team then being? Do you have the ability to, or not even ability, but do you have the courage to be vulnerable and share that guess what? I'm only human. I don't know everything. I make mistakes. I'm offering you a safe space. So, psychological safety is a big word at the moment. I'm offering you a safe space to be able to fail because I've done it before and I think that that's really important for growth and to get back up, learn the lessons and do it again. I'm also giving you the tools to be adaptable and, you know, be transparent in how you're actually interacting with your peers, with the the people around you and just be who you authentically are. Often that person outside of work is not bored into work. So you know I, I encourage the dynamic leader to bring your whole self to work. yeah whatever whatever that looks like, potentially a tamed down version, depending on what you're like outside of work. but <laughs> you know it it's about i think a big challenge for leaders is being able to figure out who like who am i yeah you can become quite institutionalized if you're with an organization for a long time or you're in a in an industry for a long time and i think that sometimes you lose sight of you know what is who is the real me what what do i look like what are my failures and my imperfections
0: that idea of having work me and and everything else me and home me is very old fashioned and and outdated and I think what you're talking about there is is that awfully overused word authentic, that real self, but it's also the culmination of the saying and doing over time. So the patterns and the consistency and the trust that people around me have because I I do what I say and I say what I'll do, and I do it in a way that is obviously genuine to who I am as a human being. That's the say, do be. I like it now. We've got two more left and, and we're quickly running out of time, but don't rush it because they're really important. And I'm sure this next one, uh, the dynamic leader inspires respect. That's easy, Shelley. Hey, it's inspiring respect. You can probably describe that in a couple of sec- sentences, surely.
1: Oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, inspiring respect is probably the hardest part because it requires what? leaders to be quiet. <laughs>
0: What do you mean by respect in who, respect for what? What what are you really talking about there when when my role as a dynamic leader is to inspire respect?
1: Yeah, so it follows on from investing in relationships. So once you've developed the relationship and you've built the trust, then it's about how do I set the expectations and hear you out for whatever concerns or questions or queries you might have And offer you different perspectives or different ways of seeing things or even offer alternatives if you find that, you know, what's being asked of you is not fit for who you are or your capabilities. But it's really around how do I actually be quiet for long enough to hear what you have to say without having a hidden agenda. So, Mm. I think that a lot of leaders are, they leave themselves open to be distrusted in a way in that so i hear you say what you say it but and i and i know you care about me but I, i'm not seeing you actually you know stand up or challenge thinking or challenge anyone and so i like you but i don't know that i respect you as a leader because i don't see you demonstrating the behaviors that are fully rounded and so inspiring respect is how do you build good relationships with your friend with your team become friends with them if you want how do you also deliver the results? It's through respect. It's through that inspiring respect. That's how you influence.
0: All right. and the last one is influencing results. And I'm guessing that is the culmination of everything that we've talked about. If you're communicating and giving time to your team and time to the relationships, and you're you're doing what you say and saying what you do over time, and living yourself as a you know, and showing through your actions who you are as a human being, you're, you're inspiring respect because of the patience that you have and the, the time that you give conversations and the, the two-way uh, willingness to challenge each other, all of that kind of stuff adds up to our ability as a dynamic leader to influence results. Is that the idea?
1: Yeah, correct. I think the biggest um, component of influencing results is the first empowering people in the right way, so actually setting them up for success as opposed to a, a tick and flick. here, do this, a classic delegation of, I don't have time, you do it and then accountability so a lot of leaders that I've experienced really shy away from having conversations in the early stages and having conversations every day so similar to to values and in fact values can be the the basis of the any accountability conversation is being able to let people know that when they've behaved in a way that is not aligned with the values or different to what they committed to that I'm going to call you on it. And that doesn't mean I'm going to sit you down and put you on a performance improvement plan or anything like that. It just means it's not going to go unnoticed. I'm going to have a chat with you. And it can be a really casual chat. Sometimes it can be in jest, but it's it's not avoided. I think we avoid things thinking that they'll go away and hoping that, you know, they'll correct their behavior. They know that's wrong or They know that this is what I expect. Yeah. Yeah,
0: You're letting yourself off the hook. I don't need to do anything about this.
1: Yeah. Taking the easy way out. Absolutely. And so it's not fair. I don't think that leaders set their people up for success when they're not having conversations around accountability constantly. That's not to say that you don't celebrate successes. And it absolutely means that your staff can hold you accountable I see that working really well is, hey, you know, um, you said you were going to run this report or finish this PowerPoint presentation by Tuesday. It's now Thursday. What's going on? And they say, well, remember you were supposed to approve my, you know, my Microsoft license (laughs) on Wednesday and you didn't. So, or or whatever it is. So, being able to hold each other accountable, I don't think hierarchy needs to come into it. I think it is. If I'm committing to something, then I'm committing. So hold me accountable for that. And if that's the other way around, then that's okay as well. It's a two-way conversation that's constant.
0: All right, Shelley, let's finish this off. I'm going to come back to my fictitious, not so fictitious cubicle land that I described at the beginning. This very polite, this very quiet hunkered down over our own personal inbox. If I work in one of those environments and tomorrow I'm going to go back and I've got this urge to be better. I want to step out of that. I want to be the thing that is dynamic in our team. What can I do to change that? What can I do as an individual to move the needle on that just a little bit?
1: I would start having conversations with your peers um, in a structured format. So, you know, send them a meeting invite and just get to know them and then seek permission to interact with them that will allow you to work optimally. I think for leaders what that looks like is going and sitting right in the middle of your team and purposefully engaging in random conversation throughout the day and just allow I- – I worked in a team like that. My manager was fabulous. She used to sit in the middle of us and she would just at times just pop a question up that we would all then get engaged in and it was one of the best teams I've ever worked with. So, as a leader I would say do that, interrupt.
0: Cr- break the ice.
1: Break it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: that's great. All right, Shelley Flett, I have so thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for being on the Team Guru Podcast.
1: Thanks, David.
0: And that was Shelley Flett. What a delight to chat with. I hope you got a lot out of it. I'm drawn to that conundrum, particularly at the moment, the idea that conceptually leadership makes sense in both purpose and action, but the practical application of it can be tricky. It can be messy and awkward. It takes courage to step out of organizational norms and be visibly different as a member of a team, as a leader. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from a conversation with Shelley on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teams with an S.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.